Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today on Song of the Soul, my guest is Sarah Bryan. Sarah's spiritual journey might well be seen as an upward spiral of sorts. She grew up in a couple different, very conservative Lutheran churches, which, as it developed, did not fit her well. Her exploration as a young adult took her to Unity for some years, and then to the Unitarian Universalist congregation here in Eau Claire, and then finally back to St. John's Lutheran Church this time of the ELCA flavor. Among the other expressions of her spirit, Sarah leads weekly Soul Dance in Eau Claire. Sarah, thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I think you've had quite a journey, religiously and spiritually, and I'm not assuming it's done. Let's start out with just finding out where you started your life. First of all, where did you grow up? Mostly in Minnesota. I was born in St. Paul, did a lot of traveling around in my early years. I think I moved 13 times in the first eight years of my life. And I was the oldest of four girls. And in my home growing up, Christianity was the center. I grew up being taught that being a Christian means inviting Jesus into your heart. And I think the basic message I got about that is if you do that, you'll go to heaven, and if you don't, you'll go to hell. And so, of course, I did that, invited Jesus into my heart, and as a child had a very sincere desire to please God, do God's will, be a good girl, do the right thing. 
I was the granddaughter of a Lutheran pastor on my mom's side of the family. And on my dad's side of the family, his parents were also very strong Christians, read the Bible every day. I think perhaps at every meal the Bible was brought out. And it, it was just so much in the air of my childhood that Jesus was returning any time. Our job was to share the good news, witness to our friends, lead them to Christ, because this could all end at any minute. And our job was to share God's love and bring people to God through Jesus. Were your parents part of any particular religious sect? My parents were both Lutheran. It was a small Lutheran denomination that had Scandinavian roots. The Association of Free Lutheran Churches, you know, Jesus was central, the Bible was central, a literal reading of scripture, I would say, personal relationship with God, and the attitude that we were all meant to be missionaries in some way, uh, leading others to Christ. When I was two years old, my parents were missionaries in Mexico. They went down there and worked at an orphanage. They were very poor. My dad tells stories about it. They had maybe $2 in their pocket at one time or another, and they just went on faith. There was kind of a sense of excitement about it, you know, that Jesus could return any minute, and, and there, there was something glorious always about to happen. That was a big part of my mindset in my early days. You talked about your parents and your church experience urging everyone, leading everyone to invite Jesus into their hearts. Did you have something like what is normally called a born-again experience as part of your youth? Yes, we understood being a Christian as being born again. I would have what felt like spiritual high experiences in church or at Bible camp, you know, when speakers would give inspirational messages and call people forward. I was very open to that. I was right there, wanting to commit myself completely. I probably went forward at some of those invitations several times as a teenager. I had a reputation with my friends that I was particularly devout, prayed a lot, and I just had such a fear of doing things wrong, going off the path, and I wanted to get it right. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to please God. I wanted to be good. That was so huge. You're speaking of this stuff as if it's in the past. I'm wondering if you have a sense of continuity with this, or is that the past and now is now? In my early 20s, I had an experience that I felt like I was cutting myself off from that past. Let me back up a little bit. I was always a questioner at some level. I would journal. I'm a writer. I would come up with questions about God and of God. I knew how I thought my life should be. I thought as a Christian I should have joy and peace all the time. And I didn't experience that all the time. And this was confusing to me. I would go to church and it was like there was a sense of people wearing masks that people would put on an image of having things together and being happy and being right with God. And there was a sense that if anything in our hearts was hurting or confused or doubting, we couldn't be open about that. We couldn't share that with each other because then people would think, oh, 
they're not really right with God. And in retrospect, this was oppressive to me. An early prayer of my life was, I want to be real, I want to be true. And I believe I often felt a tension between what I knew I should believe and what in my heart I did believe. The encouragement I received to witness to my friends about Christ was a burden to me, and I was afraid to do it, and it didn't feel natural. I would talk to my friends at school, you know, in my head as, okay, I need to talk to them about Jesus. But it wasn't natural. It was an obligation. It didn't really come from my heart. I was actually more interested in hearing about what they believed. I had Jewish friends in school in St. Paul, and some of my friends were Catholic. I mean, the kind of Christianity I grew up with, I didn't even think that Catholics were true Christians. They were, <laughs> they were somehow missing the boat, too. They weren't truly born again. In 10th grade, my Western civilization teacher, Mr. Ingebrigtsen, was a wonderful teacher. I consider him one of the best teachers of my life. Began to introduce critical thinking, taught about ancient Chinese civilizations, the Jewish tradition, so much older than the Christian tradition. I remember he would sort of flippantly refer to jolly little Christians. And he was a little bit sarcastic, but he just opened my mind to see things in a slightly different way. And I remember one of his sayings that I'll never forget is, there ain't no easy answers to nothing. And that I really took to heart and to this day believe very strongly that anybody who claims there's an easy answer in terms of God or in terms of anything ultimate about life, it's easy for me to dismiss anyone who says there's an easy answer. Well, let's start into your music, because I think this in some way parallels your journey, being born in the mid-60s, going to college in early-mid-80s. You're experiencing the world significantly different than I did, because I'm 12 years older than you. So it really struck me that the first person you've chosen for your Song of the Soul is someone who was recording back in 1969. That's kind of the heyday of this alternative thinking that was part of the 60s. So, Sarah, how do you connect up with Linda Rich from 1969? Isn't that just totally retro? Well, she was pretty hip when I was 10. My dad really liked her. She was very philosophical, very questioning, had a melancholy yearning tone about her that spoke to my soul. She was an evangelical Christian and praised God and praised Jesus in her lyrics, but there was always an undercurrent of questioning. So I could relate to that completely. I spent many an hour lying on the living room floor with that record album, listening to those words and just letting them soak in. There's more to living than I know so far. There's more to life than Hollywood, more to life than cars and material possessions and the chaos of the 60s. Are you saying also that this is music that you continue to enjoy and really feeds you yet today, or is this really just part of your path that got you where you are? I do not listen to Linda Rich anymore. That was in my teens. To my taste now, she's too dark, too in the dark maybe. There's not enough joy in it for me. My spiritual journey has led to a place where I value joy much more. 
What was strange for me was I knew as a teenager that I ought to be experiencing joy and peace, and I tried so hard through my commitment to God to do that, but it wasn't until I supposedly went off the path and started exploring other points of view that joy came. Well, before we forget to listen to her, let's tune in and listen to Linda Rich. Her song is called There's More. It's from her album, There's More to Living Than I Know So Far. And you'll hear the clicks and hum that are part of good old vinyl. Let's listen to Linda Rich. There's more to living than I know so far More than a wanderlust and an old guitar It's more than a search for thrills Buttons, bows, and fancy frills It's more than a place to go There's more to living than I know see what you mean, Sarah, about the darkness and the yearning. In her song there, it's so clearly she knows that there's more. She has faith that there's more. And she is seeing a lot of dark things that are current, things that are not satisfying, which are not the answer. And I guess, you know, that dissatisfaction is part of what helps us grow. In your life, How did you come to grips with that darkness? You said you moved out into other religion, other ideas, other social culture. What did you find about that darkness that was in you? Was that just Christianity, or was there something else working there? When I was 19 years old, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. The events that led up to that were tied into my spiritual journey. It was my first year of college. I was under a lot of stress. 
adjusting to college, I had gone to a Lutheran boarding school, very small school, very sheltered and secluded, my last two years of high school. And my first year of college, I went to the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, one of the largest, most diverse schools in the country, I suppose. I attended Urbana Student Mission Conference in Urbana-Champaign, Illinois, which is an intervarsity event every other year. It's a student mission conference. They bring in speakers that last five days. It's at the end of December. I went to that. I was inspired and uplifted and challenged, but also exhausted. I think on the third or fourth day, I was feeling sick and started not attending all the workshops and meetings. I had gone there expecting God to tell me where in the world he wanted to send me as a missionary because that was one of my ideas about my life up till then is that I would be a missionary. And the message I got at Urbana was forget about missions, concentrate on getting to know Jesus. In other words, if you don't have a message in your heart to share, what's the point? So at that time, I dropped the idea of being a missionary and... I came home from that, and it led into a spiritual high that lasted longer than any spiritual high I had had before. God kept speaking to me and giving me messages. Up till then, I hadn't done any dating. Around that time, I fell in love, or so I thought, with this guy that was a little older than me that was in this InterVarsity Fellowship group. He just triggered something that was new for me. And that powerful experience got mixed up with my religious experience. And I started having delusions that he was God. You know, it became a little psychotic. And my parents recognized that something was going on that wasn't healthy. I ended up in the psych ward. They ended up diagnosing me with bipolar, put me on medication, and I was back to myself within a couple days. But that whole experience set me on a different track in my life. One of the messages I got from the psych nurses and doctors in the hospital was, you need to learn to take care of yourself. And that was a new message for me. Up till then in my life, I would say it was what they called J-O-Y, joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So to start thinking about taking care of myself was revolutionary for me. Tied in with that self-care message was, you have a voice in your heart that helps guide you, and you can trust that. I had never gotten that message before either. It was always, trust the teachers outside, the voices outside, the Bible, the pastor. I never listened to myself. I consider the bipolar diagnosis to be a huge gift to me. It taught me the critical importance of self-care, and it taught me to start valuing my own voice. I did bring a poem called The Journey by Mary Oliver that was extremely significant to me at this time. I considered it my life poem for about ten years. The Journey by Mary Oliver. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, 
though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. That was huge to come to that realization that I wasn't out there to burn myself up and save the whole world, that all I could really handle was taking care of myself. I have this maybe incorrect vision that there are some of your religious friends people who consider themselves, you know, very doctrinally, biblically Christian, who are saying, ah, but what you have to do is lose your life to gain it. And so here you are trying to grab your life, you're not going to get it. Did you get that kind of feedback? Did you have to spar with people who were saying, no, get back in this box? It is not in my nature to spar. I'm not an arguer. And in my family, there's an atmosphere of unspokenness. At the same time, in my nature, I want to share. I'm the queen of show and tell. I want everybody to know my heart, especially as a teenager in, in my 20s. So it was extremely painful to be going through something that was threatening to my family that they didn't understand. I had one experience where I visited an, an old friend. I went all the way to British Columbia to visit her, and she had this three-year-old daughter. And when she learned a bit about what was going on with me religiously, she told me she was afraid to let me be alone with her daughter because she was afraid that I was being influenced by Satan and that I would affect her daughter that way. That was devastating, and it made me wonder if I could ever be my real self with my family or with the people I grew up with. I was supposed to visit her for a whole week, and I felt suddenly I cannot stay at this woman's house anymore. So what I did is I sought out a monastery that was in that area, called them up, said, can I stay with you for four or five days? And they welcomed me in, and that's another whole story in itself. But I ran off to the Sisters of the Good Shepherd, and they took me in. I think we're talking about mid-1980s when this is happening for you. And I'm aware that your next song is still back from Linda Rich, who's she's back in the late 60s. And I'm wondering if you want to share about the next song you've chosen of hers, a song without words. Linda Rich is still pre this transition. We almost need a name for it. The big shift. I don't know. Song Without Words expresses, in my mind, some truth about the human condition. It's full of paradox full of complexity and layers. We're this, and yet we're that, and we don't quite know what we are. So that's the reason I brought that song, is just is to express part of the human condition, which is something I puzzle about all the time. Tired, yet I can't sleep 
brought over to us from vinyl is by Linda Rich. It was called Song Without Words. I'm a little bit surprised, Sarah, that you chose to go to a monastery as your retreat place because from what I've heard from you so far, you were raised thoroughbred, I guess, Lutheran Protestant. What led you to go to the domain of the Catholics? My first year of college, I discovered a musician at the Christian bookstore. His name was John Michael Talbot. He was a Catholic monk. And there was an album called Come to the Quiet. Very prayerful, very quiet. Again, a little on the melancholy side, probably some minor keys. But again, it spoke to me. My heart was open to the Catholic world through John Michael Talbot, I believe. We might as well listen right now to John Michael Talbot's song that you've chosen. It's called Breathe on Me, and it's from his album Simple Heart.
The song Breathe on Me is a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to cleanse my heart and guide me and be with me. And that was very typical of the early part of my life. And I would have to say it has come around to being significant to me again. I'm back in the Lutheran Church, this time the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church. I call it I'm Home with New Eyes. You mentioned his first album, Come to the Quiet. That's not something I associate typically with Lutherans, Come to the Quiet. But is that still part of your practice? Is that Are you a, a Lutheran with these layers of prayer and meditation silence that is so typical of Franciscan monks like John Michael Talbot is? Prayer has always been important to me. It was a big part of my family. We were always saying, oh, pray about this for me, pray about that. And we prayed together at least once a day. When I was at the Lutheran boarding school, there was a speaker that came during a mission conference that set me on fire about desiring to be a woman of prayer. And I remember saying to myself at the time, if nothing else in my whole life, I want to be a woman of prayer. And at the time, my dean in the dorm agreed to meet with me early every morning and we got together to pray. And yes, I would say I have that contemplative side that is fed by the Catholic atmosphere that is not particularly Protestant, but I think a lot of Protestants these days are learning about it and being more open to that. 
I'm not a disciplined meditator. I don't pray in any kind of structured, organized way. I have come to value the congregational life in my current stage more than I did as a child. As a child, there was an emphasis on a personal, individual relationship with God. My current understanding of the Christian faith, there's more of an emphasis on communal life, on congregational worship, on corporate prayer, and the value of that. But there's always a personal connection with God, too, that's hard to explain, a sense that God is present and that I can sing to him, talk to him, dance with him anytime. I have a sense of you as being a very gentle rebel, and that relates to the next song that you've chosen. It's by Jackson Brown. The song that you've chosen, The Rebel Jesus, it sounds a little bit like the rebel Sarah Bryan is right there side by side with the rebel Jesus. Well, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. The song, he talks about Christmas in this song, and he calls himself at the end of the song a heathen and a pagan on the side of the rebel Jesus. He's observing the Christmas glitter and consumerism and questioning it and challenging it and say, where's the connection between the Jesus who challenged the religious authorities and defended the outcast and the poor and the widow? What happened to him? So Jackson Brown is raising his voice to bring that Jesus forward, the rebel Jesus. The way a lot of Christians express their faith is, I have to say, not necessarily the way Jesus would have expressed his faith. So we always have Jesus to lead us back to our rebellious roots. And we also have Jackson Brown to help us remember that Jesus. This is The Rebel Jesus by Jackson Brown. The streets are filled with laughter and light And the music of the season And the merchants' windows are all bright With the faces of the children And the families hurrying to their homes As the sky darkens and freezes We'll be gathering around their hearths and tables Giving thanks for God's graces And the birth of the rebel Jesus Oh, they call Him by the Prince of Peace And they call Him by the Savior And they pray to Him upon the seas and every bold endeavor And they fill his churches with their pride and gold As their faith in him increases But they've turned the nature that I worship him From a temple to a robber's den In the words of the rebel Jesus
rocks and guns And we gotta find possession And once a year when Christmas comes We give to our relations And perhaps we give a little to the poor If the generosity should seize us But if any one of us should interfere In the business of why there are poor They get the same as the rebel Jesus But pardon me if I have seemed To take the tone of judgment For I've no wish to come between This day and your enjoyment In a life of hardship and of earthly toil There's a need for anything that frees us So I bid you pleasure and I bid you cheer From a heathen and a pagan On the side of the rebel Jesus It seems to me, Sarah, that your taste in music is firmly rooted in a kind of a folk music taste that is my own favorite, and yet you're separated from me by 12 years, and by the time you were coming of age, it was Saturday Night Fever and disco and that kind of thing. Were you just always out of sync with your peers? Well, I have been called old-fashioned. I think... When I was a teenager, I thought it was a sin to listen to rock music, so I just never developed a taste for it, I guess. And I'm still most attracted to folk-type music these days, with good lyrics. I'm a writer and a poet, so the lyrics are always very important to me. The next artist that you've chosen a song by is, I believe, a secular artist. All of the folks gone before have had this leaning toward talking about the divine and God and the spirit and uh, on that side. And all of a sudden we've run into someone who's secular. How does this one fit into your spiritual journey? This next song I've chosen is called Shine. It's by an Irish musician named David Gray, who's gotten popular lately, I believe through some of his later albums. This is from his first album, as I understand it. Shine is about a breakup, a relationship breakup. The chorus has a phrase that really touches me deeply. It's something like, uh, now we're going to go where we can shine. And that whole concept of being free to shine your true self has been so important to me in this journey. As a child, 
My parents and my grandparents gave me many very good gifts. The heritage they handed me was a treasure that I do not belittle. Along with that were some drawbacks in their approach, one of which was this fear that I could not question and a sense that it wasn't okay to be my real self. So in the great shift in my mid-twenties, that is one of the great gifts of the shift is that I have learned to be more free to be my real self. So any place where I am allowed to shine my true self, I feel at home. That ties in with letting you know that a couple of the places I journeyed to was Unity Christ Center. I was a member there for a couple years, and the Unitarian Fellowship here in Eau Claire. Felt very much at home there for a couple years. I was free to question, to be eclectic in my faith tapestry, and they were good homes for my soul for four or five years. Speaking of uh, home for your soul, I'd like you to mention a little bit about soul dancing. I thought that that was also one of the places where you really found your freedom and took your freedom to shine. I grew up not being allowed to dance, and the type of dance I was not allowed to do was high school dances associated with teenage sex and drinking, so my parents didn't want me to be exposed to that. But there really wasn't any kind of dance that was a part of my growing up. Early in my years in Eau Claire, I learned about Michael Duran and Barry Lynn and Chalice Stream Dance Company and the modern dance classes they were giving in town here in Eau Claire. And I went with a friend. The very first dance class, I remember dancing across the floor in front of the mirror. We were kind of swinging our arms around and... It was a whole new experience for me, and I burst into tears. It, something had been set free in me. I was so much in my head so much of my life. To experience that full-body expression in dance was incredibly freeing and satisfying, and I have not stopped dancing since. Soul Dance, which is an interpretive, expressive dance group that I lead that meets over at the YMCA twice a month, grew out of a journal entry that I made one day in which I envisioned a dance group in which men and women and children would get together and dance to just express the joys and sorrows of the day, not necessarily to solve anything, but to express what was going on, express everything about being human. And that's where soul dance got its start. And it's certainly a place where people can shine. So let's listen to the song that you picked up by David Gray, and it's called Shine. What I know in my heart is true 
But I love it as faded Like the summer run through And we'll walk down the shoreline One last time together Feel the wind blow our wandering hearts like a feather But who knows what's waiting in the wings of time Dry your eyes, we're gonna go where we can Be hiding in sorrow Or clinging to the past With your beauty so precious And the season so fast And hey, no matter how cold The horizon appeared Or how far the first night When I held you near We're gonna rise from these ashes Like a bird of flame Take my hand We're gonna go Where we can People are interested in soul dance. How do they connect with you on that, Sarah? 
Anyone who's interested in soul dance would be welcome to contact me. I will say my phone number. It is 833-0567. We meet the second and fourth Friday of the month. Uh, we take a break in the summer. It's at 12.15 to 1 in the fitness center across the street from the main YMCA. It's very low-key. You don't need any dance experience. We do a simple circle, open and close, and put on some music and dance. So it's different every time we meet. depends on what people bring that day in their own hearts and lives. We've had some very meaningful experiences. I'll just share one. About a year ago, one of the young women dancing with us was pregnant, and rather spontaneously, the women in the group did a blessing dance around her to bless her and the baby and the upcoming birth experience. One of the women in that group was Sandy Lindo, a poet. She ended up writing a poem about that dance, and that poem ended up being used in the vision and the word and illustrated with a painting by Bill Benson. So that whole experience of this circle of creativity and one person inspiring another was so satisfying for our whole group. And Bill Benson ended up very generously allowing the members of our group to share that painting a couple months at a time, and it's going to end up back in the home of the woman who is pregnant with the baby. That type of thing, to me, is just a peak life experience where one person's creativity sparks another and a blessing circle is initiated. I mentioned earlier that joy has become a bigger part of my faith life than it was in my earlier years. And the dance connects to that. And I've got a Rumi poem. Rumi was a Persian poet who lived about a thousand years ago. God's joy moves from unmarked box to unmarked box, from cell to cell, as rainwater down into flower bed, as roses up from ground. Now it looks like a plate of rice and fish, now a cliff covered with vines, now a horse being saddled. It hides within these, till one day it cracks them open. Yay, Rumi. He really is a wonderful mystic, a wonderful gift to the whole world from Islam. Well, let's go to one more great gift to the world. Your last song is by Monty Python. Why the Galaxy Song? One thing I haven't talked about much is that part of this shift in my life has been, instead of being so heaven-centered, I've become more earth-centered. The creation, the presence of God in creation. The Galaxy Song is very light-hearted. It steps back and looks at the whole picture, the whole galaxy, and celebrates the spinning of the planets and how it all is a big dance if you step back and look from far enough away. So I love that song. It expresses partly my joy in the dance, my joy in the universe itself, the creation, the wonder of this sacred world in which God expresses herself, in which we are invited to express ourselves and dance along. This is the Galaxy Song, and it's being done here by Monty Python. 
Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel that you've had quite enough. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 90 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour, the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars. It's a hundred thousand light years side to side. It bulges in the middle, sixteen thousand light years thick, but out by us it's just three thousand light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth and pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space cause there's bugger all down here on earth I don't feel my spiritual journey story is complete without mentioning the role of my two marriages. I met my first husband in my mid-twenties when I was really struggling and questioning a lot of things, and he allowed me to question. He did not claim to be a Christian at all. He was not the kind of man that my parents would have wanted me to marry. But I was attracted, and he had something I wanted to learn from. He helped me grow up at that stage of my life. He helped give me permission to make that break from my past that had a strong hold on me. That marriage did end about eight years later. My second marriage, I won't go into detail, but I ended up marrying a Lutheran pastor, my second time around, which also connected to my spiritual journey very deeply because at that time I realized I was coming back to my roots in a new way. So suddenly I was being invited back into the Lutheran Church and that's where I am now. And I have come to see that what you believe 
doctrinally is perhaps not as significant as what you choose to be shaped by. Choosing to be a part of the Lutheran Church, choosing to be shaped by that long tradition, has been very instructive and helpful and grounding for me. For many years, I was so open to explore. I was just out there. And now I'm more rooted in my original tradition with a twist because I'm not as exclusive-minded and I'm more open. But I've come to learn I can still be a Christian and, and be open. And that's a rich circle to travel. Sarah, thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thanks for sharing this really exciting and I'd say probably at times too exciting of a journey, I'm sure, for you. I wish you blessings as you go forward on the more explorations that you're going to do this next year and the year after that. Thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome, Mark. My guest today for Song of the Soul has been Sarah Bryan. You can listen to this interview again via my website, northernspiritradio.org. On that site, you'll find a list of the music that was part of this program and other helpful links and information about my programs. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at usa.net. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can.